Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. You take your Bibles out, we're going to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to talk today about the Jethro principle. We'll apply it to our own lives as we do that. Spirit of the Lord, open the word, we ask. It's your word. We ask you to show us the truth and how it applies to our lives. I ask for grace to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. The kingdom of God is all about bringing lost people back to the God who loves them. Would you agree? That's what this is about, bringing lost people back to the God who loves them. Those of us who love God know this about him. He is always reaching out to save more people and wants us to help him do it. He's never satisfied in that sense. There's always this longing heart in God that says more, more, more people. Uh, And to him, it's always an urgent matter because he sees the eternal destiny of people. The Lord knows the reality of heaven and hell, and his great love constrains him. So our Father, our Heavenly Father, is in this process constantly of reaching out. To be, sex, to be successful, he needs to be constantly producing spiritual leaders. Without enough spiritual leaders, his kingdom can't keep growing. In today's lesson, we watch as God teaches Moses how to prepare for the explosive growth of the nation of Israel. They would certainly grow by producing more children, But God hoped they would also grow by evangelism. His plans for them were that they would become a nation, pardon me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, proclaiming the true God to a world that worshipped idols. The principles Jethro taught Moses still work today. And if we have God's expansive heart in us, we need to learn these practical lessons and make a serious choice to let God turn us into leaders who will care for the multitudes he wants to save. Now, I'm using that word, leaders, very seriously. And I, I know I could, you could misconstrue and say, well, he, that's, you know, people are always calling us leaders, and it's sort of flattering, but it's not true. I want you to, I, I, today we're going to try to see this from God's perspective. A leader is somebody who's got people following. And I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us to go, is supposed to go to heaven with a, with a line behind us. Every one of us is supposed to go to heaven with a line of people behind us. That's the deal. That's the way this is. And so it is a very true term that we are to be leaders. We're going to see that the Lord said to the nation of Israel, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Think of that. I want everybody, men and women, I want the whole bunch of you to be priests. What a thing to say. And he meant it. Now, did they? No, they turned away from it. They refused. You say, isn't that terrible? Well, how's the church done? How are we doing with this process? God wanted to use that nation to reach the world. That's what this has always been about. It's always been about this. The whole thing of the Old Testament is trying to get a people together who will reach the world so the Messiah can come. He's trying to save. And he's still trying to save. And as, and as the end times draw near, it just gets all the more urgent. And so that's what we're looking at. Here we're going to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to see how he wants to enlist us. 
Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He's the priest of Midian. Midian, the land of Midian, is on the east side of the Gulf of Aqaba. You get a map out, you can see, can see where that is. It's Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Mount Sinai was not in the Sinai Peninsula. It was in Saudi Arabia. Paul says so in Galatians. I mean, but it's, it's true. And so Israel has finally come out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through a number of, of episodes and events, and has arrived now in the area of Mount Sinai, which is in Midian. So Jethro's father-in-law, who's the priest of Midian, comes to see his son-in-law and brings with him Zephora, Moses' wife, and his two sons who stayed with uh, her father, their grandfather, while Moses was in Egypt. So he brings them out and uh, there's a family reunion there's all sorts of greeting, and Jethro hears the good news about what God has done and actually worships the true and living God, I think gets converted, basically. And then after that powerful experience of Jethro with the Lord, in which he worships the true and living God and sells out, then you have what takes place here in verse 13. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. And now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. I'm the only one that has any answers here. And when they have come, when they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you're doing is not good. You will surely, mine says, wear out, uh, literally wither like a leaf, both yourself and these people who are with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I shall give you counsel, and God will be with you. You will be the people's representative before God, and you will bring the disputes to God. What does that mean? What's Moses supposed to do? Pray. pray. Yeah. You pray, first of all. That's your job. Pray for them and inquire for guidance. Verse 20. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Teach them the word of God. Verse 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the men, all the people, pardon me, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So you're to appoint leaders. You're to pray. You're to teach the word of God. You're to appoint leaders. Verse 22. Let them judge the people at all times and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. You make the tough calls. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Now I'd like you to, to turn with me to, De to Deuteronomy chapter 1, several books to the right. Years later, Moses retells this, and he does it in a fashion that 
is easier to preach. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9. Moses says, I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are. And bless you just as he has promised you. Point number one. God always wants more people. Do you see Moses in his heart? He says, you are now so many, I can't even number you. And just imagine the nation of Israel. It's at least two million people, probably by this, well, about this, probably still is because they were dying out. So you've got two million people in their tents with all their flocks. What a beautiful sight. Spread out on the, on, the, on, the, on the desert floor. And he says, I can't even count you. You're like the stars of the sky. But then listen to the heart of Moses. He says, but may the Lord bless you a thousandfold more. May he make you a thousand times as many people as you are. Our God has created us for fellowship. He, he didn't create us to clean the planet. He didn't create us to care for the animals here. He didn't create us as little servants and helpers. He created us ultimately to love him and be with him. And being who he is, God, he can know each one of us as though we were an only child. He knows you personally. He knows all about you. He, 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 it is not hard for God to love a billion people and know every hair on your head and relate to you as if you were the only, only child he had. Because this is God we've come to. He's not snowed by the numbers. He doesn't have, he isn't distracted taking care of planet Jupiter while, you know, you, you've just cut yourself and need help. I mean, he's, he's not busy. Some people think, I'm not going to bother God because he's so busy, you know, keeping the planets and the, the airplanes in the sky. And he's got a lot of work to do. That's actually making God small. The truth about God is he can do all those things effortlessly and also answer your prayer. At the simplest level. This is the God we've come to. He longs for children. His love wants to love more. It will be that way till the last soul is saved. And there is a moment. Life does not go on forever like this. There is a moment when the door slams shut. There's a moment when the curtain comes down. Human history ends. The last soul will have come in to the fold. And it's over. There is that moment coming. The Lord tells us to work while it is day, for night comes when no man will work. There's a day when all of this will end. But right now, we're in that great gathering season. God always wants more people, but the problem is we don't. Now, we would say we would, because it's the politically correct thing to say. Somebody says, shoot, we want more people to come to Jesus. Yes, yes. But not in my backyard, you know. Uh, we personally, as long as we have a good comfortable number of friends and everything's going in our, in our own lives right, more people just means more trouble. We're kind of grumpy about more people because people bring all their own problems and difficulties. So in truth, we theoretically want more people, but in practice, we're not sure. we don't want to be involved. 
We just hope there's a bunch of radical kind of sort of fire-breathing evangelists out there, somebody who'll take care of it for us. But we really don't personally have that passion. Uh, only sort of theologically do we have it. But the choice is, folks, it comes down to this. Jesus says the harvest is limited by the lack of laborers, doesn't he? Luke 10, verse 2, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then the solution then, the thing that's holding back the harvest, the, when he says it's plentiful, he means there's lots of people that would come to me. There are lots of people that would be saved. There are lots of people that would be mine forever. But I don't have enough workers. I don't have enough leaders. I don't have the people I need to harvest the harvest that's out there. Now that's a terrible situation. That is a tragic situation. So it becomes a choice. A choice to each one of us to, to lead, to be willing to be part of leading others into heaven. To let our lives, my life, be there. And I'll tell you something, in the long run, it'll be a choice you make because you love the Lord. Not simply because it's fulfilling. We heard people just now talk about the Stephen ministries and, and, and if I'd had the, the Sunnyside team up here, they'd say the same thing. What a joy they felt. What, what fulfillment in it. And, it. and it is. But it was also hard. It was 105. 102 to 105 every day and humid. And we didn't have an air conditioning. We all just sweat like dogs. Or I guess, I don't know if dogs sweat, but you know, like something profuse. And so don't kid yourself that it was easy. And don't kid yourself that those Stephen ministers are sitting with broken-hearted people, waiting for the Holy Spirit to minister, just, just loving them through the, their crisis of their life. Don't tell me that every, every week they wake up and say, oh, hot dog, I get to go walk through this with somebody. You see, we all talk about, well, I gave it a try, but I got burned out. Do you know I've seen people in the 1980s got burned out and they haven't done a thing since? They're dodged a bullet. I'm going to tell you what burnout is. It's when your prayer life doesn't keep up with your call. Basically. It's when your prayer life doesn't keep up with your call. That's when we burn out. I've been ministering for a long time. I don't do it for the kick. You say, well, you just like to be in front of people. Oh, man, you have no idea. The last day, I'm going to go, hallelujah. But I'll tell you what I do like. If the Lord will, will grace me and let me speak the word so that people can hear it, then I'll do it to the last breath in me. Because I love him and I love you. Because he loves you so much. That's why we do this, people. That's why you'll do it. It's a decision you make. It's a decision you make with understanding. It isn't, it isn't built on some sort of emotional kick, some sort of guilt trip somebody put on you. It comes out of here. And when you, when you and I understand what Moses just said, would that there were a thousand times more of you. That's when we start going, well, I guess I better sign up. Number two, verse 12. Moses says, how can I alone... Bear the load and burden of you in your strife. 
How can I do this alone? Moses is having to go through a mental shift. He's having to let go. Every leader, and now don't just look at me, it's certainly true of me, but every leader must plan to raise up more leaders and let go of people they love. As you minister, more people will come. As they come, you must be raising up others and encouraging others and letting go. There's this process. If we hold on, if Moses held on and said, nope, I'm going to be the judge for Israel. Nobody else is smart as I am and, or spiritual, and they weren't. In his case. And yet, if he kept it up, he was going to wear out and wear the people out. Imagine two million people. How many, how many law cases and offenses and troubles and needs that were being brought to him. Standing in this crowd, he's sitting there. Next, next, next. Trying to work his way through the crowds of people. They're exasperated, waiting forever to try to get some sort of settlement of their, of their troubles. Some sort of pastoral care that they need. And he's going next, next, next. It was, it was hopeless. There's an attitude that has to come. Jethro was saying to him, if this is going to work, you must take the responsibility of raising up others. You must appoint more leaders. Will you do that? His job was to pray, teach the word, appoint leaders, and make the tough calls. And, and there was going to be, there had to be a structural change that Thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That didn't mean numbers of people, in my opinion. Imagine, how would you divide a family saying, well, every, this ten goes to this, this judge, and this ten goes to this judge? They had large families. I know what it was. It was households. It's every ten households. And I know what households look like because I've been to the mission field. One of the beautiful things in, in South Africa are the, are the family uh, compounds. And there, in, in, in they'll be, they call them rondovels, and they're these beautiful adobe kind of brick uh, round homes with the, with the grass roots, and they're just, just beautiful. And they, they paint them with a family uh, kind of signature. And so they'll, they'll, all these rondovels will be sitting on a hillside looking the same. I mean, having the same family signature motif to them. They're very, very beautiful. It's just organic, the way it looks. And you'll have, you'll have grandpa and grandpa, grandma. You'll have, the, you'll have the son and daughter here with their children, uh, daughter and her husband here, children. And they're all in a family grouping. That's what these were. They were households. He said, so every 10 households, you have basically a pastor. You have, a, you have someone who will, who will work with you. And then every, every five of those, uh, that you have someone to appeal to over that when it gets too tough. And then there was just a, a structure that worked right on up. I determined that um, it probably took about 100 of the top level judges to oversee this. And I'll bet Moses met with them with some regularity. And they talked about the tough cases that were coming to them, caring for the people. It worked. Would you notice this? If Israel was two million, there was one leader for every ten households. If it was three million, there was one leader for every ten households. If it was four million, there was one leader for every ten households. The leaders had to grow. The number of leaders had to increase for the, king, for the kingdom of God to increase. Number three, verse 13 
He says, choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. The key to this thing is leadership. Now, I read you there in Exodus, and it's mentioned a little later here also, what do you see are the requirements for these leaders? Well, it said they must be able men, which means they have to be physically healthy and strong enough to do this job on top of everything else they have to do. Then what else? Do you remember what it said? They must fear God. What's fear God? That means, you know, you don't dare step outside unless they'll hit you with a lightning bolt. Fearing God is that attitude that says, I know he sees everything I do. There's nothing hidden from God, and I know he will hold me accountable. He's not a big pushover. He's not a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, or at least he doesn't see what I do. That's the fool who thinks we get away with anything. The person who fears God knows that all that I have is before him. You know, I met the Lord when I was 12 years old. I want you to know how that affects your dating life. The fear of God affects how you date, doesn't it? No matter where you are, you can be 100 miles away from home, but God's in the car. That's the fear of God. And indeed, it had its, its proper effect on my life. Hallelujah. So there are to be men who fear God, men with a sensitive conscience, who don't, who don't have a little secret life going on thinking nobody sees. Thirdly, there to be dependable, it says, faithful men. A, a, a faithful man is somebody who does what he says. You can count on him. There are a million people who do something once. They'll dabble in things. But the person who is faithful, who is dependable, who when they say they'll do it, they'll do it, and they'll do it as long as it's, they've, it's called for, that's a whole nother breed of cat, isn't it? I mean, how many faithful people do you know? I mean, when we have, when we say, everybody's willing to give, oh, I'll do a little ministry once. I just don't want to get committed. Yeah, well, that's great. We, I mean, actually, it's almost worthless. Almost worthless. If you and I don't have the pizzazz, I mean, if I woke up this morning and said, do I feel like preaching? <laughs> I don't think so today. Church would come apart like a dime watch. I'd be an airhead. It's something you do because God gives it to you to do. And you get up and you do it because you're supposed to do it. That's not guilt. That's just truth. It's called faithful. It's called dependable. So he says dependable people. And then he says finally they have to be somebody who hate bribes. Who, who do not have the love of money. What, what's the deal there? Well if you're going to be the pastor and the judge of these families. You've got to be somebody that you care for the poor and the least. As honestly and faithfully as you do for the wealthy and the powerful. And if you can be slipped a few bucks and you give uh, false care, uh, dishonest judgments, you're going to ruin everything. So it has to be a man who hates dishonest gain, who thinks, who loathes that. You don't, you know, somebody hands you a bribe and you just spit on their hand. Get that thing out of here. He says, I want that kind of man. Now, how many gifts did you see in that list? I mean, don't we think of leaders as somebody with gifts? They've got to be gifted to be a leader, don't they? Well, I didn't see one gift. 
I didn't see one gift in that list. I saw a whole list of character qualities. Didn't you? I saw character. I saw the Lord say, find men of character. Able men. Dependable men. Men who hate bribes. Find men who fear God. Appoint those. I'll put my spirit on them. Listen to me, people. Character's a choice. You know, we often think, well, I just don't have enough gifts. But you can choose character. Character is our gift to God. We give him character. It's an act of worship. We choose the right thing. We choose to fear him. We choose to walk righteously before him. That's our gift to him. There's not a person in the room that can't choose character. Every one of us. Let's talk about gifts for a second. I've heard people say, well, I am just a one-talent person, meaning don't ask me to do it. You remember the parable of the talents? Um, the master of the household had three servants, and he's about to go on a long trip, and so he gives a certain amount of talents to each one of the three. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and one person, he just gave one talent. By the way, a talent isn't uh, the ability to tap dance or balance something on your, you know, foot basketball on your finger or something. A talent is a weight of silver. They're actually quite a large amount of silver. Even the person that got one talent got a load of money. But the one person got the one. Now, he went away on a trip, and the person who had five talents, what did he do with them? He invested them. He worked with the talents. And when the master came back, the master said, well, what'd you do? And the, and the one with five talents says, master, you now have ten. I, I doubled, I mean, the, the number of talents are doubled by the use of them. The one who had two talents when the master got back now had four. The one who had one talent now had, uh-huh. He said, I knew you to be a hard man expecting me to work for you. That's what he said. Expecting me to do your work. Here, I buried it in a napkin. Take your dumb talent back. That didn't go over well. Did not play well in uh, Peoria. Uh, the Lord got pretty ticked at that. L would you note what happened? Say this with me. Faithfulness brings increase. Faithfulness brings increase. I want to talk to those of you that are the poor, lowly, little, one-talent folk. I want to tell you what to do. Let's suppose that when the master went away, the guy with just one lousy, measly little talent had actually invested it and used it. How many talents would he have had when the master got back? Two. Now, let's suppose the master went on another trip and uh, he invested those again. And when the master came back, how many would he have? Four. Let's say the master went away on another trip and he invested those four. How many would he have? Aha. You get the point? When you and I step out in service of God, when we faithfully invest what we have starting right where we are, I'm going to tell you what happens. Your gifts increase. Because who's the giver of gifts? And he sees the gifts you need and he adds to you. People with a lot of gifts generally, in terms of true gifts from the Lord, are people who've been investing what they have faithfully and God has increased them. I know they're highly talented, highly charming, highly uh, natural 
almost animalistically empowered people, those people are seldom of any help to God. Most of those people preen and delight in the fact that they are so talented, it's so intelligent, and do nothing with it, is my experience. It's the faithful. Character is what makes a person fruitful. Character is the issue. You can serve God. You, if you and I will put our hand to the plow he gives us, we will have more people following us to heaven than we know what to do with. And that's where we have another step. Number four, the people must accept appointed leaders. Verse 14, Moses says to them, You answered me and said, The thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you. The people must accept appointed leaders willing to receive care from someone other than Moses. Now that's the choice that the people experienced. Will we let someone other than Moses make our decisions for us? Will we accept leadership from lesser personalities than this? I, I won't spend long here. But I'll tell you, there comes a choice for all of us to let others minister and receive care from, from normal people. I've had people say to me, well, nobody visited me in the hospital, and yet I know for a fact several, the mini church was there all night with them, and a number of Christians were there praying for them and being with them, standing through the thing, but what they meant was the head dog wasn't there. And that really isn't a matter of seeking ministry. That's a matter of seeking respect. And this isn't about disrespect. But it's about the fact that if we're going to care for one another, care for the kingdom of God, if the kingdom of God's going to grow, we're going to have to care for one another. And in my opinion, every man and woman that's filled with the Holy Spirit is a lovely minister of Jesus Christ. We have to open ourselves, our eyes to receive care from each other. And get this issue of prestige off the, off the table. It's not what it's about. Will you receive from someone other than Moses? And the people said, go for it. Yes, we will. Number five. God's goal, and I want you to see this, was for everyone, even then, to be a leader. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. I want to show you just one verse. Moses is, they are now at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up for his first conversation with the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And then he says in verse 6, something remarkable. He says, you shall be to me, read it with me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let's say that again. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Imagine that. A kingdom of priests. Everybody, every man and woman, I expect you, you'll be anointed of God to function in priestly ministry. I intend Israel to be my evangelists, my priests to the, all the other nations of the earth. 
through you, as the power of God dwells in you, I'm going to reach the nations of the earth. Hallelujah. This is God's plan. It's his heart. Did it happen? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. That assignment, that call was disqualified and refused. You say, that's terrible. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter, he, Hebrews, James, First Peter. Verse 9. Peter is now speaking to Christians, speaking to us. And listen to what he says. In fact, why don't, why don't you read verse 9 out loud with me? I don't care what version you have. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Let's go on. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those words he's taking straight out of Moses. What's what he's, it's actually what he said to Moses 1,400 years earlier. He said, I want to make Israel a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You'll be a people for my own possession, a special treasure for me. And I will work through you to all the nations of the earth. Here he's saying it again to us. To us now. Now the voice is to us. I want to make you a royal priesthood. Not some hierarchy of religious professionals. I want to use you. I want you to be a leader for me. I'll anoint you. I'll make you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'll set you apart unto myself. I'll make you different than the society you live in. You won't have that corruption in you. You'll be my people. And I will use you to proclaim the excellencies of him who've called you out of darkness into light. And you'll tell the world about me. People, do you know we could win? We could win the world. You say, no, get out of here. We could win the United States in four years. They estimate that there's maybe 50 million evangelical Christians in America. Let's say that's a high number. I mean, real believers. Let's say there's 25. What if every one of those 25 million won somebody to Jesus this year? Just one neighbor, one brother-in-law, one somebody at work. How many would we have a year from now? Let's say every one of those 50 million now just brought one person a year. This isn't, we're not talking about going out in a chicken outfit to the Seatalk Mall, you know, with Turner Burn signs. We're just, I mean, though, if you want to do that, go for it. I mean, I, basically, God will use anything. But let's just say you just won one person. And we won one to the Lord, just one. How many do we have now? You know where I'm going. 
Next year we have 200 million. There's only 280 million in the nation. The key is what? The harvest is great. It's ripe. But the the leaders, the laborers, the people who are willing to take up that task are few. And it doesn't require gifts. Because you'll get all those you need. God's just got tons of those. What it requires is character. And it requires a heart that says, I know the heart of my God. He longs for more. And he needs me. He needs me. I guess that's the part of it. It moves it from a theological commitment. I know God wants to win the world. To he needs me to be part of that. That changes the entire character and flavor of that statement. The choice is yours and it's mine. Am I willing to be a leader who, God cares, who cares for people so that God will have more people in heaven? I want to just share one article out of the newspaper. And, and it concerns one of, our, one of our members, and I can't very well hide her name as I read through it, so, but it's in the paper. I've known that this sister was doing this for a long time. This is not new. She's been doing it for years. But here's somebody who just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And who just stepped out and did what God gave her to do. It says, Wilson didn't set out to be a Pied Piper. Music made her one, though. Wilson runs a summer Bible camp at her home in Federal Way. It started seven years ago by accident when Wilson, who plays musical instruments for fun and relaxation, had to give up the piano during daytime because that's when her husband slept after working nights at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. But she could play her guitar soft enough to suit her slumbering mate. One day as she was strumming and singing spiritual songs, a few neighborhood children heard me and came over and asked if they could join her. They just seemed to want some attention, Wilson said. Word spread on her address where Wilson lives for several blocks around. Before long, about 35 kids from preschool age to eighth graders and Wilson were participating in what they call Bible Club. They were in her garage, I think. From June to August, they've met once a week for free activities and non-denominational basic teachings of Jesus. The group plays games, makes crafts, collects cans to raise money for food banks and international children's relief organizations. Wilson's also arranged for special guests through her church contacts and persistent requests. Notice that she, she bugs them until she gets an answer. <laughs> Hallelujah. Max Strong, a Seattle Seahawk fullback. Urged the children to make commitments in their lives. Craig Tomlinson, who plays soccer for the Seattle Sounders, paid a visit and provided tickets for a home game. An animal handler, Dave Colburn, introduced the youngsters to big snakes and a sea turtle and other exotic critters last month. The picture is this kid, I don't know if you can see my copy, holding this boa constrictor. That'll get you right there. For Wilson, whose own two children, including a daughter who plays in a Christian rock band and are in their 20s, the backyard Bible camp comes natural. She's a former special education teacher and has taught Sunday school and, as a member of Northwest Foursquare Church, has hosted Bible study groups. The Bible club, which ended this month with a swim party, is just something I enjoyed doing, Wilson said. I think it's been good for the kids, too. Well, Sue's told me that um, this last year the, she was praying about the Bible club for the summer. And the Lord said, just look over this section of houses, which is a lot, lot, of, lot of poor neighboring houses in one area. 
And she said, as I did, the Lord gave me compassion. And I, I took flyers down there, I think. And she said, I just had a ton of kids come from there. And she said, now, again, as each summer, every one of them virtually receives Christ. Now, this is just an example of someone who's just said, Lord, I know your heart. What can I do? I know your heart. What can I do? And it'll be different answer for every person in this room. That's the beauty of it. It'll be a different answer. It ought not to be a guilt trip. It ought not to be because I'm school. But when I get a hold of the heart of God, I just know, how do you want me to use you? I'll tell you, the reason that we have the mission teams we have, that we have Stephen Ministries, we have a lot of things like that. I'm your pastor. For many of you, anyway. And I feel an obligation to give you every opportunity to serve the Lord and to develop your own calling. Because I believe this. I believe that we will all stand before God and we will answer for our lives. And he will ask us what we did with what he gave us. I believe that. And so it's important to me that I've given you every opportunity. I can't force you. I don't want to guilt trip you into it. But boy, do I want a lot of open doors that get hard to walk by. I'm just trying to open doors so that when you stand there, you'll hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want you to be fed the word of God. I want you to be in worship until the anointing of God strengthens and refreshes you. And then I want the Holy Spirit to call you and speak to your heart about how you, at your place of life, and with your available time, I know there's logistics to this, but that how he wants to use you and how he's going to use you to lead others into heaven with you. That is the call. And he's looking for leaders. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, I thank you for being willing to consider us and say, I want to use you. I'll make you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That you would put that call on us. That you would see us like that. I thank you that it isn't a matter of gifting. It's not a matter of gifting at all. It's a matter of character. It's a choice to love Jesus like this. To be used of him. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every one of us. We're saying to you today, we love you. We understand your heart. We understand that you don't mind inconveniencing us and stretching us and growing us until we are fruitful branches in your kingdom. And we want that. Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful you don't allow me to drop down to the level my nature would drop down to. But you keep pushing me. And Lord, you're pushing all of us the same way. You're pushing us to step out and to serve you in the way you appoint each one of us to do. And I just pray, Father, for that love to fill us, that faith to rise up in us. Thank you that you're building character into us. And today in our worship, we offer our lives to you and say, here's my life. Here I am. As you guide me, Father, I will follow you. I will serve you. Now, if indeed you're, you're there, not just vaguely, but as God opens a door, as God makes it apparent,
when that step is there, you really will step out. Because I, and I warn you, it will be there. It's not like God says, well, no, I'm not really interested in you. Is there any others? So it will be there. So this shouldn't be sort of a vague theoretical thing of like, yeah, if something happens, I, maybe I will. But when he does, will you say yes? And I don't want to, I'm not going to tell you what that is. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. But if you're ready to say that, would you say, yes, Father, I will. I will give you my life. I'll follow you. I'll be a leader in the kingdom of God, leading others into heaven. Father, thank you so much for loving us like this for being with us and building up your people. Thank you for the future. Lord, we're going to go into it full of faith, full of joy, full of strength and see many brought to you. These are good days in the spirit. And we praise you for it in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.